I'm Tim Burrows and this is Unmade. My guest today is author and once upon an ad man, Nigel Marsh, whose new book Smart, Stupid and 60 has just been published. Nigel's first career was as an advertising executive in the UK and then Australia. Then he lost his job and found his way into books via the story of his year out from the industry, fat, 40 and fired. Nigel later came back to run Leo Burnett in Australia for a while and then Y&R Brands. These days he keeps at least one foot in the industry via the medium of podcasting but we'll come on to that. Now Nigel I was I was watching a video this morning in preparation for this it was shot exactly 10 years ago this week as far as I can work out. Uh, it features you and I in the Mumbrella studio talking about your follow-up book then fit 50 and fired up so um tell me everything that's happened since then leaving out no detail no matter how small (laughs) i i watched that because you sent it to me (laughs) but it's quite nice that that um you i mean i didn't plan to do a personal seven up you know series but that is what i have fallen into you know 10 up and it's not on TV, it's published by Penguin. Um, so it was actually quite uh, sweet of you to send that clip because, I mean, that reminds me, whatever I was crapping on about 10 years ago, and, and hopefully in 10 years' time I'll look back on this interview when I'm 70, publishing, you know, senile, slim and 70, and, and see what I, I said at 60. Uh, so, you know, uh, I mean, I know you were joking in your question, but bloody hell, a lot has happened since since then um and uh happy to answer questions on any of it (laughs) yeah well let's um and and there is a lot we 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 can and um we'll dig into um i suppose one of the things i think back to around that time was i I guess that was about the point when really it was beginning becoming clear that probably the advertising industry was mostly in your rearview mirror and It was a portfolio. It's going to be, and it is a portfolio career. But speaking was becoming an increasing part of it. So, the other the other thing I found myself thinking about was um, what looked to me like one of those game changing moments for your career was your TEDx Sydney talk, which I think right. was two thousand eleven. Which, which again, I just just watched back in preparation for our conversation. Now, now, funnily enough, watching the video, I can actually see myself sitting in the front row. Ah. So I am starting to feel a bit like Forrest Gump popping up at to witness <laughs> key moments in your career. But it was a much talked about presentation. Certain job and career choices are fundamentally incompatible with being meaningfully engaged on a day-to-day basis with a young family. Now the first step in solving any problem is acknowledging the reality of the situation you're in. And the reality of the society that we're in is there are thousands and thousands of people out there leading lives of quiet, screaming desperation, where they work long, hard hours at jobs they hate to enable them to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. (laughs) It's my contention that going to work on a Friday in jeans and t-shirt isn't really getting to the nub of the issue. (laughs) So Nigel, tell me about how you turned that TEDx opportunity into something that became so big for you, because there was obviously a lot of preparation just to get you onto that stage. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lovely story. There's a chap, you probably know Remo, do you? I don't know if you know Remo, the, the guy who has... I do, yeah, Remo Goofy, Goofy, I must admit, I struggle with the pronunciation. But, <laughs> I mean, but so, so, so Remo was, was, was a, a dad at the, the, the school, that, you, know, you know, the public school, government public school where my kids went to. Um, and he asked me if I would do a TED speech, uh, and, and, I, and I said, you know, told him a fee. And he said, oh, no, it's for free. And I said, well, why the hell would I do that? I mean, no, I'd never heard of Ted. And then he said, oh, no, you should think about it. It's, you know, it's a big thing, blah, blah. Uh, um, so I said, oh, okay, mate. And then I looked at Ted, which then, I mean, I think it's been a bit personally, but that, no offence to anyone, I think it's a little bit watered down now. But anyway, um, I looked at it, and this is ages ago then, and I called him back and said, you got the wrong bloke. I mean, it, it was all... President Clinton, Bill Gates, or whatever. I go, you what? What on earth do you want me for? Anyway, so, so, so I, I, I was talked into it, and um, they were. It was run a lovely lady who who used to work for the ABC and thing. They were after all these rehearsals and send a speech, you know. And I, you know, politely refused and said, I'm just going to turn up. And have you got a presentation? No, and all that. You know, I'm just going to turn up and talk from the heart for ten minutes. Um, and I was obviously talking about myself, but I couldn't admit it because I was in a big job then. So I just did it sort of as a favour because I was asked and I fell into it. And I had no plan whatsoever for it, apart from to get through to the end of the 10 minutes, hopefully without making a fool of myself. And then at the end of it, I also had no plan. I, I, I didn't do anything. I, I mean, I just, you know, gosh, I've done a TED speech and I've got away with it. And Tim Burrows was in the audience, as was Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> um, uh, but then it went, uh, I get bored of those people who say, oh, gosh, it went viral. But, but I mean, you know, whatever. I don't know what it is now. Six million people have seen it, which is quite a lot. I think you're up to, uh, yeah, certainly really high numbers. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I didn't do anything apart from do the speech. And, and, and that actually goes to something which is a core part of all three of my decade books is the having a philosophy of the passionate dedication to a short-term goal and it's the opposite of what many people and, and I'm had, happy for everyone to do whatever they want but for me it is you do hear some people say oh have a dream follow your passion you know whatever it might be whereas my advice for myself is just focus in on what Whatever you are currently doing, it could be talking to you, uh, it could be doing a podcast interview, it could be writing a book or doing a TED speech. Do it to the very, very best of your loving, authentic ability. And then whatever will happen will happen. So that's what I did with the TED speech. And then what subsequently happened is if you are a, a you know, a speaking client or a conference organizer, or indeed someone who works for a large company who's tasked with finding speakers well there aren't that many people in that sort of space whose speech has been seen by millions of people that is that's sort of relevant to a businessy audience so anyway so, so so yeah it catapulted me into a different you know a, a different area in terms of speaker because i was no longer just ceo of leo Burnett. i was ceo of leo Burnett and ted speaker and one of the things that does strike me as, and and maybe you're you know you're you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. Was it was incredibly well presented in the, as I say, I watched it again recently. The you know the way you had, and I, I guess this is as you know 
you, I'm sure you were even an experienced speaker then, but the way you're able to use pauses and emphasis, all the things that people on 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 a big stage like that for the first time maybe get a bit nervous about and kind of rush rush through. So I I wonder, sure, you're you're sort of saying, oh no, I just busted it to a certain extent. It feels like it was quite rehearsed to me. Yeah, well, so I think that, that, that there's two um, there's two separate issues. So, uh, and, and all of that bunny that I've just said is about me having a master plan around how to leverage it. And there wasn't one. There was, there was naught, nothing. I'm just going to do it. The answer to the question that you just clarified is, did I just stand up and pull it out of my ass? No way. I was petrified and I rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And if you look at, I mean, there are different sort of, I think, I don't know, Chinese versions, American versions, but but one version of the film, you when I say, you know, good night, thank you, it goes from nine, nine minutes, 59 seconds to 10. It, the, 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 the digital clock, you know, clicks over to, you know, cue applause on the second of the time that he, you know, not 10 seconds over or under. You know. So it was, um, you know, I'm proud of that speech because I, 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 I meant every word of it and I think it's helped a few people, but holy crap, it would be, entirely disingenuous to suggest that I did anything other than practice and rehearse and practice and rehearse. Yeah. I do wonder, actually, I, I think there are a bunch of people in our industry, but probably many industries, who make things look effortless by quietly rehearsing really hard. I remember talking to uh, Jules Land and him saying that, you know, if ever he was doing something like on the red carpet or something, and he'd be doing the cross and he'd seem to be effortlessly bantering with the celebrities as they came past, he'd rehearsed and practised it all beforehand and thought what he was going to say and where it might go and all of those things. So so I think sometimes, I don't know if this is maybe an industry which actually is a really great industry for the successful people actually hiding some of the work that goes into it. Yeah, do you know what, because, because what we all... Uh, what we all, what is incredibly um, uh, appealing and impressive is people who I, I saw Will Anderson because I, I, I interviewed him on my podcast and and to in preparation for seeing him I, I booked tickets to his his most recent show before my interview and that was it's you know what you're talking about Will or something it was called um, but it literally is him just doing improv. Right. So it's just, he's got lots of different shows, but this show is he walks on and says hello, and he'll point at you in the audience and say, "Mate, what do you do? What's your name?" You'll say, "Tim, I'm a journalist," and then off he'll go. Right, and that is a skill that is extraordinarily rare and extraordinarily impressive. And I think some people, because we're sort of on the we are not in the industry anymore, because the industry is sort of on the shoulders of showbiz. I think there are some people who who would like to pretend that they can command a crowd and blah 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 without any preparation. They can go, oh, you know, Nigel, we just want you to do ten funny inspirational minutes. You go, well, I can't. You know, I, I, I'm not that clever. Maybe Steve Martin can, or or Will Anderson, but Nigel Marsh can't. I can prepare a good speech. And if you last night, Osher Gunsberg at my book launch was doing a. Um, it was it was, it was so, so generous and sweet. He, he said, "No, don't write a speech, Nigel, and I'm not going to write a speech. I, I'm just going to talk to you." And 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 then so he has to like what you and I are doing now. We just don't have any questions, so I'm not. I haven't prepared anything because I don't know what you're going to ask me, and that's the best way. So there's a lovely sweet spot I find, whether it is in 
my speeches, interviews, I did a little bit of comedy once, blah, whatever, is if you know your topics authentically, properly by heart because you've honed them, then that's a beautiful place to be because you can relax. And so, so if I said to you, oh, Tim, tell me the story about the when your granny fell over in the laundry, you know that story. You haven't got to be word perfect as long as you know the granny in the laundry story. And if you've got 10 of those, you don't really, you can turn up and say, which one do you want to hear about? And it looks like it's, it's ad lib. Have you heard the story about Boris Johnson? Yes, I have. The, the one where he turns up at the awards ceremony and he's all bumbling and he just scribbles on the napkin and everything's, gosh, isn't it amazing? And then he turns up again at something else two weeks later and goes to exactly the same performance. I'm so glad you've, because that, that, that goes to, I mean, I hopefully wouldn't try and pretend like that, but that goes to the heart of what I'm saying. Okay. Well, well, he's got whatever, 25 gags and stories in his back pocket and he's turning up pretending he's bumbling, but he isn't. He's incredibly well prepared. But there are some people, not many in advertising, uh, who, who have got that gift where they can. I think actually politicians, you've got to be, if, you, if you're really uh, an inspirational, good leader, you know, a JFK, a Churchill, or, or even though those people did prepare, you know, you, you spend your life having to do, you know, speeches on the hop. And I guess you develop a muscle for it, muscle memory for it as you go along as well. Now, you do touch a little bit in the book on a couple of your less successful uh, speaking engagement moments. So uh, what, are, what, what, what are your worst experiences in speaking gigs? Oh, no, mate, you're going to make me cry. I mean, I, I, there's one. I mean, do you mind me telling you the story? I, 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 there's one. I mean, I, oh, God, I can see it now. It is I... Because I write about sex in my books and I swear and all that stuff, and that, that, you know, I, I, I'm a professional bloke, so I'm very, um, you know, sensitive to my audience and I want to upset them. So I'm not going to talk about wanking or swearing or whatever. If you know, why would I? It's a business audience. I'll talk about effective leadership. So it's rare if you get a a a brief where they say we want blue material. We want you to this. This is a car dealership conference in fiji not not a fijian car company an australian car company has been flown to fiji and you are closing the conference they're all going to be pissed so mate go for your life so i used it i got all that material i've cut out over my career this is my chance to be jerry sadowitz i i it's all going to be you know i'm going to tell all those stories and they were saying you know it's more entertainment than a speech just you know go for your life so i had the most revolting offensive blue speech I've ever written and as I was about to step on stage the long story short they ushered in about between I don't know 30 and 50 8 to 10 year old Christian children boys and girls to sit on the floor in front of the stage because at the end of my speech they were as a as a as an honor to the Australian car company they were going to sing the national anthem so I, I mean mate I have got 60 minutes of shagging gags and whatever else. And I'm looking at these innocent kids. And, and uh, yeah, so just, ah, I still wake up at night, like like Edward Munch's scream bloke, <laughs> remembering that. And you just go, what are you going to do? I mean, they've got dry ice, they've got music, I'm ushered onto stage, and there are the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yes, now the stuff of nightmares indeed. Now, um, I guess one of the, you know, you, you have explored this in a, in a couple of the books that, the attractions of working in the executive role in the industry is the security it brings. 
Um, I imagine the particularly the first months of the pandemic couldn't have been great for you and your finances. No, no I mean, but I don't want any sympathy. But it was a disaster. I mean, the one the one thing that ain't going to happen in lockdown is large groups of people getting together to have a conference. So yeah, my my, my um, you know speaking work disappeared. Uh, and, and then it's in dribs and drabs, it came back in, in virtual ways, you know, doing Zoom and all those things. But, but you, you know, ironically, the, the podcasting, which is another leg of what I do, that, that, that they, are, they were defined as a, um, I did it with a large media company, as an essential service. Mm, mm. Well, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to the podcast in a minute, if that's all right. Um, and then I guess the the other thing I found myself sort of wondering about, sort of you know reading the book was um that question of it feels like now you you know maybe when we you know last I last formally interviewed you ten years ago you were sort of beginning to walk away from agencies. I'm my read is that you are done with big agencies now. Now you did go again with the leading edge, um, but you mentioned in the book that. It's been a year since anyone's called. <laughs> you are talking to yesterday's man. Yeah. Although, funnily, I, I, I am. Do you know a thing called the Effies? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the um, organised by the Advertising Council, the Effectiveness Awards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm judging the Effies. I mean, me and a whole host of others. I'm, I'm judging the Effies uh, in. Well, now actually, I've got all the cases you know behind me well you're um, that that rarest of things i suppose somebody who knows the world of advertising but is also now neutral yeah 100 percent. And, and i god holy crap i mean this is this is uh gosh i had to be, choose my words carefully uh, um they some of them can be head spinningly unimpressive so the ones that have some clarity of thought and actually insight uh, it's like eating ice cream. You go, wow, but but it's not the majority. And some people, you know, entering things where you go, this is so shudderingly obvious and pedestrian. Why would you? Anyway, so so, uh, but but it's but it's quite fun because I, I I I like the if I say intellectual, it sounds pretentious, but but I, I like the you know forget the politics. I, li- I like the intellectual side of creativity and advertising and brands and business and strategy i find that stuff you know when it's done well really fascinating now i forgot your question yes so so, so I- yeah the question was have we got to the um never again stage yeah, well, of a big a, a big let's say ceo role for a big agency group well, well so my wife might listen to this so I'm going to have to wink at you because I'm going to say never say never, and I'm winking now. But but yeah, yeah yes, I think we have. I mean, the, the, for me, um, you know, being involved, you know, as a project, I get hired as a consultancy or or, or, or West Eighty Second or whatever, or judging things or being asked. Fine, but going in five, six, seven days a week, uh, uh, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And coping and dealing with the stuff that you very well know, a an agency CEO, or you know, needn't be the CEO, but it's someone working in the trenches in advertising. You go, I would rather lick the pavement outside a public lavatory than than do that again. But 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 you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever it is to support my family. But my kids have left 
left home, mate. So I've got, I, I, I might have got to the finish line. And there, there are some people, um, oh God, maybe even some people listening to this, but there's some people who I have to be very careful uh, how I explain where my current stuff. I mean, I mean, I haven't got any money, I haven't got any pension, and we'll have to sell the house to afford to be old and all that stuff. But I haven't got to go into an office and report to an idiot um, and do moronic, stupid things that I think I shouldn't be doing to pay for school fees or a mortgage. That, yeah, so if it came to I had to earn a certain amount of money to afford bread, I would like to think that running an advertising agency would be uh, at the bottom of the fifth page of options. <laughs> and I suppose the uh, some of the irony of, of, of that is, I, I, you, you observed, I think maybe in one of the books or maybe in one of your speeches, that you know one of the um, uh, kind of hardest times to be in that sort of role is when you have a young family. Um, you know, so there is a kind of irony that you've probably got the experience and the life space now to maybe do it better than you would have done it then. You know, mate, it's so nice to talk to you because 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 you, you're right. And that is, I mean, that's life, really. I, I think I'm going to be a a sensational granddad, if I'm ever a granddad. You go, well, well how rubbish is that? You, you know, I've, I've learned with my kids by making all the mistakes. I've had four, you know, four dry runs. So then when I'm presented with a, a little nine-year-old, nine-month-year-old toddler, well, I mean, I've, I mean I'm match fit. I've, I've done it. So you are right, is if you could not have, the moronic pressure and the politics and all that stuff. In terms of the thinking, if I was a, um, and I'm not sure who your your your, your audience is, but if I, if I was a large company senior person who was buying proper advice on 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 my marketing communications, I would go to the to the grey beard. And then, now I'm not saying that because I've got a grey beard. I'm I'm, you know, I'm not available. Not me, but somebody else. I would rather talk to David Abbott or or, or, or Matthew Melhuish or, or someone because you, you know who how you describe me for the FBs who hasn't got skin in the game. He's trying to win the pitch or undermine someone who's just interested in the question that you are. You know how do we sell more of these cars or or whatever it might be? And you think wow. They've got 40 years of experience of dealing with this stuff. I'd far rather talk than the enthusiastic, energetic, ambitious young buck, you know, the 29-year-old who probably runs your account. Hey, look, I guess it's a bit like this week. We've seen the news that Mike Wilson is coming back to be the Sydney chairman of or chairperson. I'm not sure whether he's gone for the exact title of um, of the, um, the media agency Hatched. So I guess that's a good example of the grey beard coming back. I... I love the fact that you may, I, I think he is fabulous. And, and, and that is the precise example. You go, I don't know the first thing about Hatch, but they're very clever because why wouldn't you want Mike? I mean, why, why wouldn't you want him to, to be advising, you know, clients on stuff that he's clearly an expert and seen it all? I mean, that's a sensational idea, as long as you can afford him, as long as he you know, wants to do it. And I suppose speaking of, of greybeard wisdom, um, you, you, you do have a consultancy in West 82nd. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's fantastic. I, I, with, my, with my dear friend Chrissy Blackburn, and, and that, but we do that, uh, you know, work with people who I want to work with on things that I want to work on. And, and so it, it's a real, you know, without having tickets on yourself, it's a real privilege to be able to say, well, I don't really want to run around begging for business from people. 
but if if someone is of a mind that they think Chrissy and I could help and we've done a few things in our career then if you pay us the right amount of money we'll give you a point of view well let's say you've touched on it already let's talk about the podcast five of my life why do you do it oh (laughs) god I don't know I don't know who is going to listen to this but I do like you Tim so I'm going to tell you the truth and then I'm going to trust you to edit it out if I sound like a total wanker so uh, it's selfish really uh, um, so I'll, I'll answer, you know, two two answers. You know, so, so honestly, this, the first is my selfish reason, which is the primary one. It is as we get old, and, and my, my book is about the third trimester and making the most of the, of the last years of your life. And we're all heading to the to the hole in the ground, and you and I have got twenty, thirty summers left. So how are you going to fill them? And what can happen is your interests contract and get a bit narrower. So my record. You know, taste is stuck in the eighties. I've been to see the Smythes with my son, the Smiths tribute. I've seen the Smiths live four times and the Smythes live once. Um, but at least the Smythes don't have Morrissey as a member, so they're they're less problematic. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're more acceptable politically. Um, but but they have a bloke pretending to be Morrissey. Uh, so, what was in on a serious point is you can your your friends, your interests, your everything can 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 contract. So, so you like, I don't know, blues, so you listen to blues, you like this type of books, so you, listen, you know, your friends and everything. So for me, the the notion of talking to different people, completely different people, you know, I've done Julia Gillard and Albanese, but I've done John Eels and Lane Beachley, I've done rabbis and, you know, it's, so complete diverse people. So I'll meet diverse people who I wouldn't meet in my normal social career, social life, but I'll ask them questions around their cultural interests films books and songs and then i go and read the books and i watch the film and i listen to the song so what has happened long answer to your your question is it has exploded my interest and my network at an age where most people's gets narrower mine has exploded in a way that it never has in the previous 60 years i have read 90 books i would never have read i've seen 90 films so so selfishly keeps me interested and whatever but the second personal reason before i get on to the to, to, to the other one which is, which is what i'll tell another interviewer but you, you're so good and nice that i'm telling you uh, i'm trying to be less of a judgmental cock where i, I might interview people where secretly i think oh you know oh, you know i'm mentally rolling my eyes you know you think you're bloody clever you're some idiotic you know actor or whatever i mean i mean they're all lovely but as in in the past i would be or maybe i'd write some some off some advertising executive as some as some hollow suit right and you go nige wind your neck in look for the best in everyone because you haven't got to marry them or live with them or even go to dinner with them you have to interview them for half an hour and try and get the very best out of them Look for the good in them. And I used to go to the Quakers and everyone's got a bit of, you know, good or slash God in them. And, and you go, that's quite a useful character building project for Nigel Marsh, Inc. Yeah, and, and it's making me a better man. Anyway, So those are the selfish. That's the true selfish answer. And then the, the other answer, which is also true, but not the primary thing. Uh, and, and it's proving to work. You know, we've got the podcast. I think I've got the, um, oh, hold on. I've got a, ah, we've got you know, got the old podcast award. Um, 
For for those listening, Nigel is currently holding up a trophy to the camera that I can see. <laughs> Momentarily forgetting this is not being filmed. Um, it is. Uh, it, I would like to. Um, oh God, this sounds so pretentious. So secretly entertain, elevate, and educate, and and I and I take that very very seriously. So it's in that order. So I'd like people. You know, if you're flying from Hobart to Sydney and you listen to an episode of Five of My Life, you know, to think, oh, that was, you know, that was interesting. That was fun. That was better than staring out the window or reading a book. But I'd also secretly under the radar like people to go, oh, Tim talked about his football club. And that was quite interesting. I'm going to investigate more about that. Or, you know, so, so if there's one thing, it could be learning more about the guest or one of the guest's choices that in some way motivates interests and inspires you or helps you then that's the package that i'm i don't want to do an instructional one i don't want to do a self-help one but i'd really like people you know oh i listened to commando steve um oh he was hilarious when he talked about x y and z oh and Tiknat han that buddhist monk I, I went off and and googled him and i go brilliant you know i'm not trying to be shakespeare or joe rogan i just i just would like half an hour of people going oh it's quite nice i, I you know I, I like listening to russell halcroft or whatever and on the, uh, you sort of touched on that world of self-improvement, something I found myself thinking about a bit in the book, and this is a half-formed thought, so this wasn't a question I made a note to, but you reminded me of it, was you come across in the book as being incredibly self-aware and um, it feels like you've sort of beaten all of the arsehole out of yourself. Surely nobody can be as um, as nice as you come across in the book now. Wow! Um, wow! I, 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 is because it's only been published like yesterday. So, so how interesting! Beaten the arsehole out of myself. Well, I don't know. I mean, that. I mean, that's why I put. Um, it's very important to me to have the word "stupid" in the title. And, and there were some people who, who you know, lovely, who I respect, who wanted, um, you know, three positive words. So smart. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but smart, sexy and 60 or smart, slim and 60 or smart, sober and 60, you know, make them up, you know, three positive. But, and because I, I think I like the power of paradox. I mean, I, I, I like to think I'm a nice man and, uh, and, and all those things, but, but, but I'd like to think I've got a few, I wouldn't put the word smart in if I thought I was a total idiot, but, but you know, we are all flawed. So, so I, I mean, I, I, I hope, hopefully, I'm improving as the years go on. But, but I, I, I would imagine you are more uh, intelligent and empathetic than you were as a twenty-year-old. But you have your moments. I imagine you embarrass yourself and you have regrets, and 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 there are things you don't know and mistakes you make. And and I, one of my messages. Is not that I've got messages, but you know, you know, to you, one of my messages it, it is: uh, it's brilliant that there's still learning and improvement ahead. I mean, how boring would life be if if you were the perfect interviewer or the perfect journalist, or you never made any mistakes, or you don't, you know, you couldn't be a better husband or a better father? You, you know, without wanting to be on toxic positivity and self improvement, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I gosh, I, what an interesting question! It is, uh, uh, I don't know how I come across in the book. 
I mean, I just wrote it. So like, you might not, you might not be representative. There might be, uh, you know, hopefully tens of thousands of people who read it who go, "What a cock!" Um, and if they say, "Oh, isn't he a nice chap?" Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know in a few months' time. And what's your view on the place in life of therapy and therapists? Ah, well, I am. Do you know a lady called Nancy Klein? Who wrote a time to think? No, no, I don't. Yeah, anyway, it, it, it changed my life, but it, it, it's about the power of, of, of you know being listened to properly and listening to other people properly. And and through that and conversations I've had, I'm, I'm interviewing her on the podcast um, in a, in a few weeks. Uh, it's sort of because that's what, you know, from an arm's length amateur point of view, that's what sort of therapists do in, in largely. Um, so I early on. Uh, would be very sniffy from a completely ignorant point of view and think it's just people being paid to say, so, Tim, you're feeling angry. Hmm, tell me about how you're feeling. I think, bloody, I could do that. A dog could do that. He doesn't <laughs> What's the value in that? Give me some answers, you prick. Um, uh, I, I, I've never had therapy, um, but I am probably the person most in need of it walking this planet. And, and my philosophy has been, which is terrifying, it is terrifying, is I am a fan of Pandora's box, but locked. <laughs> I'm going, there's, there's two ways of dealing with Pandora's box. One is opening it and sorting out all your issues. Haven't got the time, haven't got the time to be doing that. My uh, attitude is buy three or four more padlocks and lock that lid nicely closed and then get on with Tuesday and Wednesday. So I'm not sure if that answered your question is, is I think good therapists, I mean, like good advertising agency, I mean, bad therapists, just a waste of bloody time talking mumbo jumbo, mung bean bullshit. Um, but I imagine good therapists are, are just sensational. And, and if you get in early enough and you can afford it, do you do therapy? I have done it, yes, yes, and and uh, and uh, you know, and not because of a particular crisis or anything, but uh, because I, yeah, it struck me that if you get to the age of fifty, then it's probably about time that you have a, a you know, a few things to understand better. So yeah, like, I I agree with you that I think yeah, good therapy is good, um, and I I suppose I find myself wondering because there, there, there's a part in the book where you talk about finally biting the bullet and uh, getting your hearing checked and getting a hearing aid um it, it feels to me like maybe the therapy journey is is for the next book ah well, well so, and so what i will do which when you spoke to me you know 10 years ago formally on that when we both looked like little little school kids um it is and said you know will you write a 70 book i, I go what are you talking about tim i'm 50 of course i won't i don't know but now i'm actually committed i'm gonna write a 70 80 90 as long as i live i'll write 100 when i'm still alive um, what an interesting question. I mean, I, I'm terrified to do that. I, I'm terrified to do that. Um, but it's a, but it's a possibility. Um, interesting. And then, what, what's the, there's a brilliant <laughs> type book title. I, I mean, it's, it's it's a serious, upsetting book. But but it's a brilliant book title where it, it's um uh, I think it's oranges are not the only fruit. But in it, the mother says to the daughter who is struggling with being gay and coming out this brilliant line which is, she says um what was it uh why be happy when you could be normal 
<laughs> and you go, no, that's the wrong way round. You know, but this just terrible. Was so the mother going? Oh my god! You know, I'd, I'd rather you were miserable for the next eighty years of your life, so you can convince me. But but a, a watered down version of that is I touching wood at the moment. And again, don't tell anybody. Uh, I, I am with with lots of challenges and flaws and whatever else. I am ecstatically, orgasmically fucking happy with my lot. That doesn't, you know, everyone else in my area has got more money than me and blah, 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 you know, and, and I'm yesterday's man and no one, the headhunter hasn't called for a hundred years at all. You know, so, so please don't take this as smug, self-satisfied, but I'm really, really happy with the challenges ahead of me and, 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 and you know, I work on things. What's the, um, the phrase I said to somebody once is, is I'd like to be paid well to work part time doing things that I love, and and don't tell anyone that's what I'm doing, right? <laughs> and, and, yeah, and and I'm married to who I want to be married to, and I'm going to Smythe's concerts with my children, and I swim at the beach. So, uh, I, I would be terrified of blowing it all up. You know, Nigel, with some of the things that have gone on in your life, you should be more miserable. And you go, no, 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 don't tell me that. <laughs> Intriguing. No, I think. I think one day we might revisit this conversation. Um, now, obviously, it's, a, it's an audience which I, I guess is at least marketing adjacent. Um, what are the marketing lessons of the title of your book that wasn't in the series? Ah, oh, I, I, yes, observations are very short. <laughs> are, are you are you dissing my title? Uh, choice um, skills because I, 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 when I was doing my research, I seem to I, I get the impression that it started the the book I was holding up on camera is Observations of a Very Short Man, but as far as I can tell, it was then reissued under another name a little bit later, which yeah, honestly, which makes mate. me makes me think there must have been a marketing story there. Yeah, well, well so do you know the the the, the free Hoover uh, fiasco story? This was in the UK where people were promising free flights every time you bought a Hoover. I worked on that. I did the advertising for that. There you go. So I've been involved in the two biggest marking disasters that humanity has ever seen. One, I mean, it wasn't my idea, the Hoover thing. We were just a little ad agency. I witnessed it, like like being in the uh, the audience for the Will Smith slap. It was one of the great British scandals, wasn't it? I can I can still remember, you know, the, the, the Consumer Affairs Show watchdog sent in undercover reporters, didn't they, to see how, you, how your client was trying to uh, dodge giving away the flights. And trust me, they were. Anyway, so, so that, that is a rolled gold disaster, almost matched by my rolled gold disaster of choosing the title of my second book, which, which comes from a sweet story with my younger son who had to write a Father's Day card to me at school and everyone else said, you know, my daddy's my hero or my daddy is my best friend. And Harry wrote, my daddy's a very short man, the little fucker. You know, that's what the only thing you think about was I'm short. Anyway, so I put it, made it the title of my book. And the truth is, I, mean, I, I love that book, but people would walk past it in a bookshop and unless you had an interest in the thoughts of a very short man and why would you, what an incredibly boring thing to, well, you know, you would, you wouldn't pick it up, you just walk past. If you did have an interest in the thoughts of a short man, well, I'm not that sure. And the book isn't about that anyway. It, I mean, it couldn't have been a worse title. So the publisher said, you know, your first book, Fat 45 sold, sold, you know, quite well. That was a bestseller. Is why isn't the second one selling as well as we thought? And it's because you're an idiot, Marsh. You, you've given it the wrong title. So, so we retitled. I came up with Overworked and Underlaid, which 
you know, it's a good title, but chat to my wife. I mean, it, it, it has, it has, it's not without. Yeah. So, I, I mean, although I, I'm actually, I, I don't know, I, I didn't like the title fit 50 and fired up because that it sounds a bit smug and uh, anyway, um, um, but I really, really like smart, stupid and 60 because it, it, it's sort of, I, I'm proud to own it and it talks to the power of paradox and all those things. And so, yeah. Thank you for raising my worst title, mate. <laughs> well, that is a, a good point to, to leave it with a mention of uh, the book. Once again, Nigel Marsh's book is called Smart, Stupid and 60. It's out now. Nigel, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you, Tim. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. More soon. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.